David, uh, great to be here, and uh, I think they'll switch over to me any second now. And uh, let's hope after all the moving that the pictures come on. Uh, there we go, Jonah one. That looks good, except the color's wrong. We may have a problem with colors here, but that's okay. Uh, well, joy to be with you this morning, and you've heard it officially. It's 12.15, so relax. <laughs> It's nice to be back to a place where I feel like everyone knows me now. I've been so often. And, uh, you know, it's nice to be known. It reminds me of the story of the pastor who was uh, visiting a senior's home, and uh, there were lots of residents struggling to remember who people were, memory failing. And uh, he went to a long-time member of his church who used to come for many years, and he said very gently, he said, Do you know who I am? No, she said, but if you ask at the desk, they'll tell you. <laughs> so I'm glad that you know who I am. And uh, we're going to, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's good. Yeah, we're all right, Colin. We're looking good. We're going to have a little uh, series. Don't play with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, brother. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to have a little series on what God does for us. We're going to, uh, actually there's four chapters in Jonah. I've got four messages, so you're going to get a chapter, a message, and we're going to look at a theme for each one. And today we're looking at Jonah chapter 1, God called us. Now I should have had the chairman read that. I'm going to put the verses up, and uh, I should read the passage, but you probably know the story. I'll put the key verses up, and... Uh, you promised me tonight you'll read chapter 2 before you come, and we'll, we'll read through Jonah in the other service. But we'll get right into it this morning. Uh, Jonah is a fascinating book. You know Jonah's famous, of course, for trying to do what seems impossible, but uh, is increasingly popular today, and that's to run and hide from God. And, you know, in some ways this uh, book reads like a game of hide-and-seek, uh, and of course, that's an old trick. I mean, it was first tried by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember how the Bible starts? I mean, they tried to hide from God. They, in their case, they hid out of fear and shame. They realized they disobeyed God. Now, now Jonah's reasons for disobeying God and running away were, were different from those of Adam and Eve. Jonah tried to hide from God because, well, he didn't like what God wanted him to do. You think about yourself for a moment, by the way. Have you, have you ever been there? I mean, not liking what God wanted you to do? You've got to think about that. Uh, because one of the things I want you to think about in connection with Jonah, how much of Jonah's reflected in my life, and we'll get back to that. But, but I've got to tell you this morning, the refusal to fall in with God, what God wants us to do, it always leads to trouble. And you're going to see that big time in this book. In fact, all through Scripture, we discover that whatever the reasons for our disobedience, it's always a disaster, but God allows us to ignore his call. I mean, although we can't hide from God, the reality is God never forces himself upon us. He never makes us respond positively to his, uh, his invitation to go along with his plan for our lives. But, of course, constantly we meet junctions, choice times. God gives us freedom to choose, but we constantly have paths to choose between. And God allows certain freedom, even though he knows the tragic and sad outcome of our wrong choice. 
Uh, and Jonah shows us, I'm going to move away from this stage, it's, I feel it's chasing me a bit, there you go. Um, Jonah shows us very clearly that, that, that God's patient, God's forgiving, he has a, a wonderful character, and what he does amazingly is respond to our poor choices, our disobedience, in a way that actually can often be for blessing. See, what we have to understand is God doesn't always prevent the disastrous outcome of our choice. You may recognize this picture. It's from a year ago in January. Last year, the Costa Concordia off the coast of Italy, a whole cruise ship down, and it was simply a bad choice of the captain. He's in jail right now. He's suffering from that choice, but it was a disaster. And it's just a reminder, God doesn't always prevent disastrous outcome from our choices. And this book, you know, the book of Jonah, is, it's, it's a wonderful window into God's heart. What we're going to learn, we're going to learn a lot of stuff, but we're going to learn that Jonah is about God's concern for all mankind. And sometimes we're slow catching on. Even Peter, you know, in Acts 2, remember when he was in Cornelius' house uh, and a vision came and he, and he said, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So Peter was slow to realize, hey, the open heart of God, uh, God welcomes all mankind. You know, I have a little uh, Linus Lucy interlude here from the Peanuts series, because uh, Lucy's an awkward little girl, and she's saying, you a doctor? <laughs> That's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? She said, because you don't love mankind. That's why. Linus said, well, well, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> well, I hope none of you in that um, state of mind. But you know what we're going to learn in this book is that Jonah shows the way God saves and forgives people, people that maybe we wouldn't save if we were God, that God blesses people, uh, people who are quite undeserving of his blessings. And in fact, what this book illustrates, this isn't just a New Testament idea, what this book illustrates <clears throat> is a very important statement about the character of God way there in the book of Exodus, Exodus 34, 6, Scripture says, this is God the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. That's the God we're going to see. That is our God. And that's an important and a comforting statement of God's character. This is what God is like. But if you're going to fully appreciate this summary of God's character, what you need to know is a little bit about the Ninevites. Jonah, as you might remember, was called to go to Nineveh with this message from God, but Nineveh was an extremely wicked city. Nineveh was a capital of Assyria. That was the most powerful empire in the world of that day. And these Assyrians, and the Ninevites in particular, had a reputation for unbelievable and extreme cruelty. They practiced brutality of a most disgusting time Kind. And they boasted of their cruelty. We have all kinds of etchings of them doing things I don't even want to talk about uh, because they viewed cruelty as a demonstration of power. In fact, if I was to really tell you everything that went on, you'd need a, one of those like you see on TV, parental discretion warning. 
I mean, for example, I mean, they, when they captured someone in battle, they, they, they did things like skinning their captains alive, captives alive. They mutilated their bodies. They would rip out their tongues and they would pierce their heads with chain and they just led them through the streets like dogs to their death. They were in the business of mutilation and blinding and torturing. This business of torturing captives isn't new. I'll take that away and, and, and I just want you to understand that that the hatred between the wicked Assyrians and the Jews, it was intense. And you need to know that for Jonah to be asked to go and preach against the hated Assyrians, to go to those idolatrous and barbaric people, it was totally repugnant to Jonah. As far as Jonah was concerned, what they deserved was obliteration and judgment rather than a message from God calling for repentance. So this book really challenges us in so many ways. I mean, you make no mistake about it. Jonah is a book about God's grace. It's a book about God's concern for all nations. It's God's concern for sinful people. You see, and it's another thing. When we get to the end of it, you're going to find it, 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 it finishes in a remarkable way with God's question. I mean, it's... it's it calls us to God's questions, not just our questions. In fact, how does a book finish? We're going to find it finishes with a, the question, shouldn't I be concerned about that great city? And I hope we can answer that properly at the end of the book. Because this book, on a global level, when we think about today and our own attitudes, it's a book that calls us to maintain an outward look, to be ready to be involved in cross-cultural ministry and global missions and to look outside ourselves to our needy world and God's concern for Nineveh. It's just a wonderful example of God's willingness to save any and all that respond to him. And I hope you'll see that. You see, amazingly, although Jonah fails you know, he fails in his disobedience and even in his reluctance obedience, as we see, we'll see when we go through. Jonah fails, but still God blesses. Do you think about it? Uh, when you read the chapter, perhaps you should have read it, but you'll remember the sailors were saved in the first chapter in his disobedient phase. But at the end of the book, the Ninevites are saved in his reluctant obedience. And that, you know, that to me was such an encouragement because it reminds me God uses imperfect servants and he saves the most unlikely candidates. If God didn't use imperfect servants, would never use me. And if he didn't save unlikely candidates, so many of us wouldn't be in the kingdom. And this book speaks on a personal level to you and to me. It's actually a call. And I want to give a little testimony here. I mean, many of you know a situation I've been through this year. Jonah's a call to trust God whatever storms we encountered. Many of you know that just after I left here last year, Vivian was in great shape. My wife, 52 years married. Uh, I would not have dreamed that I would be back this year alone. So it's obviously been a tough year. I mean, this was a fantastic woman. The colors are wrong. She doesn't look jaundiced, but don't worry about it. <laughs> now I look up, I realize she had a nice rosy face, but it's probably because we're kicking this connection. But don't, don't worry about it too much, brother. Oh, yeah, it's getting close. Yeah, now don't mess with it. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, I'll stand still.
<laughs> anyway, you know that. I, I won't leave Evans' picture up too long. It'll get me thinking away from what I should be thinking about. Uh, because only half the team's here. What a blessing she was. But, but why I'm telling you this, it's been a very tough year for me. And, I, and I've realized that, that we can trust God. And I want just to make this a little testimony. This book demonstrates uh, that whatever trouble we find ourselves in, uh, incredible trouble, often, of course, the tr trouble we're in is like Jonah's through our own folly. Mine was simply we live in a, in, a, in a fallen world. The tragic outcome of this evil world is many, many troubles. But you see, the story of Jonah teaches us the value of storms. God allows things into our lives that we don't want. But, but I want you to notice what happens in the storm. What Jonah found out, I found out, that in the storm, only God matters. Because in the end, these things that come into our lives, it just takes away our control. In fact, Jonah got to the point, as you may remember, that, that in that storm he just needed to be thrown into the raging sea, and that's what it took to get him to wake up and pray again. So I do want you to remember that whatever storms you encounter, you still have to trust God's sovereign purpose. And it was a struggle for me, but there it is. And just let me, as an aside, I want to just say this to us before we get into the actual detailed points. Some Students, for some reason, are stumbled by the miraculous element in books like this. Don't let that stumble you. Man, you know, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, what's described here is a, is a cakewalk. I hope, um, you know, there's a funny story about a teacher who said to the student, it's physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human being. Actually, it doesn't say a whale, it said a big fish, but she said... Even if it was a very large mammal, their throat's too small. But this little Christian girl insisted that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The teacher reiterated, a whale couldn't swallow a human, it's impossible. Well, this little girl said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. The teacher said, well, what if Jonah is not there? What if he's in the other place? The little girl said, well, you ask him. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope, I hope you don't let the uh, miraculous stumble, stumble But seriously, that's a little uh, funny story. But remember, the story of Jonah... Listen, just let me say this the about the miraculous. The story of Jonah is one that Christ took seriously. In fact, the only minor prophet that Jesus mentioned by name is Jonah. In Matthew 12, 40, when he was predicting his own death, our Lord Jesus compared Jonah's three-day experience in the belly of that huge fish with his three days and three nights in the tomb. Absolutely firm evidence for the reality of Jonah. Well, that's enough overview. I want to get into this because there are three lessons I have for you this morning from Jonah. And the lessons about how we live. And I want to focus on three things we need to do in our Christian lives from this book. We need to do, number one, we need to recognize God's plans. And number two, we need to respond to God's call and that whatever comes into our lives, we need to rest in God's will. Recognize God's plans, respond to God's call, rest in God's will. That's where we're going to go as we go through this great book this morning. And let's get right into the business of recognizing God's plans. 
Now, let me say this, first of all. Don't think for a moment that in any way God condones the wickedness of Nineveh. I've described it. Hey, you say God forgave them. But listen, God always opposes evil. He always judges sin. And it's clear that the wickedness of Nineveh enraged God. And his call to Jonah, actually his initial call, was you go to Jonah and you preach against it. You see, in fact, their evil is described in a, like a stench to the Lord, something he would judge. Let me just tell you that Nahum, another prophet, and I don't want to get into this in detail because it was much later than the incident we're talking about, but he was later called to speak against Nineveh because this repentance didn't carry on through future generations. And there was a time when the Assyrians attacked Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, and when they attacked Samaria, they, of course, showed no mercy. They went back to ruthlessly destroying them. It was like Syria today. I mean, it was, it was senseless killing of civilians. What's happening in Syria is not new. It's described in Nahum. And, and um, pathetic killing for power. And so in Nahum, Nahum chapter 3, God says, What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies, never without victims? Said in verse 5, God says, I'm your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will cover you with filth and show the world how vile you really are. Now, mention that because, you know, you might think, Oh, God's wishy-washy about sin. I mean, he just forgave him. You, you need to understand this. Because never forget God's ultimate purpose. Sometimes we get blinkers on and don't see the big picture. The big picture in the Bible, the culmination of God's plan, is to eliminate sin and evil and injustice from this universe. That's why judgment's part of the gospel. Sometimes we preach the gospel and don't mention judgment, but it's clear throughout Scripture that God's declarations of judgment are, are there but they're consistently linked with a call to repent and with an offer of forgiveness and acceptance. And Jonah knows this. This was his problem. In fact, if you doubt this, Jeremiah 18.6 makes it absolutely clear. God says, if I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, then I will not destroy it as I had planned. Jonah knew what God was like. And of course, we know that New Testament. Remember 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient with us. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is what God's like. So we need to learn from Jonah that God will fulfill his plans. I mean, God does what he does. He doesn't explain it to his creatures all the time. And, and no amount of refusal or cooperation on Jonah's part would change God's plans. All God's plans for Nineveh, both his plans in mercy and then in judgment, they would all be realized because God's sovereign. And it's actually our responsibility as finite human creatures to recognize his plans place ourselves in his hands. Scripture says his will is a good and perfect will. Uh, and, and, and we need to say, I'm going to recognize God's will and, and I hope it will be realized in me. Because you know what Deuteronomy 32.4 says? It says the Lord's works are perfect and all his ways are just. And 
It's a faithful God, a God who's upright and just. So that's my first point this morning. We need to recognize God's plans. And the more ready we are to recognize God's plans, the more ready we'll be to what? Fulfill his commission and respond to his call. You're not going to respond to his call if you don't recognize his plans. Notice, this is a dramatic book. It begins when God gives a clear commission to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Not hard to understand that, is it? And Jonah had no doubt what God wanted him to do. This was a command. It wasn't suggesting. He said, you might go to Nineveh sometime. He said, no, no, go to this place and speak against their wickedness. You know, it's, it's tragic today in modern life that, that what's happening is people don't make any attempt to hear God's voice. They have no idea what God wants them to do. And you say, why don't people know what God wants them to do? Well, if you ask the Lord to guide you, if you fail to carefully read God's word as you pray, if you never talk to mature Christians about your gifts, if you don't reflect on your circumstances, how you find yourself in life, well, you'll never be certain of God's leading. You'll never know God's call if you're not praying and seeking guidance and doing the things I said. And I want to tell you this. Listening to God's voice and hearing his call, that is what life is. I'm not a big sports guy, but I was, I was, I was struck a long time ago. I read a story about a major league baseball umpire, a guy called Bill Clem, and he was a big guy, I guess twice my size, and so his calls were rarely challenged. And they described one tense game when the score was tied. There were two out. There was a runner on third base, and the batter hit a shallow single. And what happened is the left fielder, fielder made that perfect one-bounce throw to home plate, and the ball and the third place, the third base runner arrived at the same time. So there was a dusty collision, and the team shouted from the dugout, He's safe! No, he's out! He's out! He's safe! He's safe! He's out! And in the midst of all that shouting and confusion, Big Bill Clem threw off his umpire's mask, and he put his massive arms up, and he said, He ain't nothing till I call it. <laughs> he ain't nothing till I call it. I thought, man, isn't that it? We're nothing till God calls us. And in Jonah's case, God... God's call was absolutely clear. God called him in one short statement, one sentence that would completely change his life. And that happens. One short call can be life-changing. God's call should be life-changing. You know, I've lived long enough to have a lot of stories, and I'm, I was thinking about this, about this short email that changed my life forever. And this, I often think of times... You know, I think, especially coming here, you've heard this story about four times, I know, but it's a, it just makes the point so well. Coming here, I thought about it because I thought about the times when my cell phone has rung at odd times. Sometimes with good news that changed my life one way. Sometimes with bad news that changed it another way. You know the dramatic story. I'm coming down here to speak to the youth group late because I had to set up all those experiments. Rushed in Wendy's down Hollywood Boulevard because I hadn't had any supper, we'd been in the traffic, come out with a hamburger, and there's my wife Vivian, face shining, the biggest smile I ever saw, and I say, what happened? Did you see an angel? 
She said, no, the cell phone rang. We weren't even using our Canadian cell phone here. I don't, didn't even realize it was on. She said, the cell phone rang. And our son called. We've got a granddaughter. We had three grandsons. Man, was she happy about a granddaughter. Life-changing. I mean, she's a giant delight in my life. Then I thought, just um, almost a year ago, the day before Vivian's surgery, I'm sleeping at my daughter's. They just told me she's sleeping. They take the sleeping pill. I'm thinking all is well. The phone goes. Get the kids. Viv's taking a turn for the worse. I get to the hospital, and the Lord's called her already. Guys in the hospital punctured her lung the day before the surgery. There's a hospital cause death. What am I going to do? A short call? This is, I mean, obviously, life is never the same. I'm saying this because a little word can change your life. Either way. And here's Jonah, three little words, golden in ever, and his life changed dramatically. Now, it should have been good news. It should have been like my first call. You got a granddaughter. It should have been good news. God was going to give Nineveh a chance to change, to be saved. But you'll find out as you read this story, by the time to get, you get to chapter 4, that Jonah knew God's heart. He was afraid that God would respond in mercy to these wicked people. He didn't want God to speak and spare Nineveh. So he said, this is bad news. The call was, God's call was regarded as bad news. Now you think how you view God's call. If God called you for the mission film, is that bad news? I mean, and you, are there people you feel don't belong with us because they're not the right kind of people? I mean, this is a respectable crew at Boulevard Bible Chapel and there are blatantly wicked and difficult people out there. The kind of people who you want to say, you know, they've made their bed, let them lie on it. I mean, you think like this sometimes. For Jonah, Nineveh represented people that should be hated. It's not somewhere where he ought to go because they shouldn't be receiving a message from God. Now, we have to look at our own attitude. Remember the parting commission given by Christ just before he went to heaven. Our commission is short, it's clear, it's five words. He says, you go into all the world, a world full of wicked people, people who, like us, don't deserve grace and forgiveness. Short call, but a real call. You see, we need to understand that Jonah's problem, actually, what was his problem? It was fundamentally with God. He didn't agree with what he thought God would do. And he had a problem with a God who would love people like these terrible, wicked Ninevites. I want to tell you, I've said it once, let me say, it's not a good idea to disagree with God. And if you do find yourself like that, and don't think I'm saying, this is fine, Lord, it's okay about calling Vivian, receiving her. God didn't take her, he received her. Always remember that. But you see, what you need to do is, what we all, you need to ask for understanding. You need to pray and read God's word, and this is one of the things we don't do in rebellion. Jonah's response, what? It was to run away to a remote and distant place, Tarshish. Let me just give you a little bit of uh, geography here. Nineveh was a major city. I mean, it was something like this, beautiful on the banks of the Tigris River. Today, it's in Iraq, about 300 miles north of Baghdad, near the modern city of Mosul. They used to say it didn't exist, but it's well excavated now. In fact, here's some of your U.S. troops at the reconstitution 
she'd gained of Nineveh during that unfortunate time in Iraq. So there it was. There's Nineveh. Uh, you can see Nineveh there. And I want you to realize that the place Jonah's off to, Tarshish, is it's 2,000 miles west. It's a smelting city um, somewhere in the Straits of Gibraltar or Spain. So it is. God says, you go east. So he headed first for Joppa to get a boat. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I meant to do this. Joppa, there he is. That, he headed to Joppa. He wanted to pick up a boat to go west. And there was 2,000 miles between the place God called Jonah to, Tarshish, the place Jonah headed for. And don't forget, this would be a trip making... To, it would take many months. Interesting thing about Tarshish, 1 Kings six twenty-two gives us a clue. It said, For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. So this was some port. Now, of course... Um, Dropper wouldn't have boats going to Tarshish every five minutes, but Jonah gets there, happens to find a boat going exactly where he wants to go. And it's a long way. Jonah's running. You can see where he started, where he should have been, and where he went. Uh, it's unlikely ships left for Joppa, from Joppa for Tarshish very frequently, but Jonah is going. He's running. He's running away from where God wants him to be. He's got money in his pocket. He's going to pay his fare. It's a long voyage, but it's going to be well away from where God wants him to be. Let me tell you this. If you decide to run from the Lord in disobedience, Satan, you get this, he'll always be happy to provide the transportation. Satan's there. Satan's always ready with a tempting option. This is the story of the Garden of Eden. This is the beginning. The Satan will provide the transportation, but you'll always pay the price. Now, of course, Jonah, he did tell the sailors he was disobeying God, if you read the story. Interesting that. But, but he, I suppose, like most of us, he rationalized his disobedience. He wouldn't be going around saying, well, I'm deliberately disobeying God. He probably has been saying things like, well, look at the circumstances. If God didn't mind me going to Tarshish, there wouldn't be a boat waiting for me. He can do that sometimes. Let me tell you, when the Lord makes his will clear, listen to this, when the Lord makes his will clear, no favorable circumstances can override what God called you to do. If God called you to do something special, there'll be all kinds of circumstances that, that might tempt you. I'm sure Jonah's saying, well, they need the Lord in Tarshish as well, you know. And anyway, I'm not really the right kind of person to reach people like the Ninevites. All this rationalization. And you, you need to remember what I said earlier. God doesn't force us to do what he wants us to do. In fact, it's often part of God's judgment not to stop us. And fundamental to the sad story of Jonah is this truth. You can run but you can't hide. And, it's, and that's fortunate. You think about it. If God didn't care, he'd just let us go off in our sin forever. The words of Proverbs would be played out. But Jonah, I've only put those up there. They are words of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right, but leads to death. But Jonah finds the boat, pays the fare, and you know the result. 
And I want you to notice, you read this story carefully when you get home. Notice that every step in chapter 1 is a downward step. Down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the sea, and eventually down into the belly of the great fish. It's down, 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 down. And let me remind you that climbing, going up, is always harder than going down. Whatever age, going up is a tough challenge. This guy's just about making the stairs, and this older person is even more of a struggle. But climbing up is always harder than going down. Whatever your age, whatever your circumstances, going down is easy, but it involves falling. It's quick, it's easy, but it may be painful. It is painful. Things went smoothly for Jonah. By the time he gets on board, he was so relaxed. Verse 5 says, I'm ready for a sleep. <laughs> he was ready to settle in his cabin and enjoy a good sleep. We talked about this morning. Malcolm Challenger in the first service, sleeping. They slept in the garden, sleeping, so easy to do. But you know when you're asleep, here's um, um, Charlie Brown finds Snoopy sleeping. He said, well, when I left for school this morning, you were asleep. When I came home, you were still asleep. I find that interesting, don't you? Snoopy says, I can't hear you, I'm asleep. <laughs> you don't hear when you're asleep. You don't hear God's voice. John is not listening to God anymore. He's no longer alert to God's voice. He's asleep down in the boat. He's sleeping. But mind you, he's not resting. He's not resting with peace of mind. He was far away from get where God wanted him to be. You may sleep, but you won't rest if you're out of God's will. Look, folks, and let me say this. If you want to know true rest, you have to rest in the Lord Jesus. He's the one who said, you come to me, all you that are weary, and I'll give you what? Not sleep, rest. You see, in the end, true rest only comes when we respond to God's call and what? We rest in his will. You see, in contrast to Jonah, who bought to doing God's will, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. I must tell you about our Savior. He perfectly and consistently always did God's will. What he said, John 5.30, I don't seek to please myself, but him who sent me. If you want to follow Jesus, it's obedience. You know, there's a little incident, very interesting incident in the life of our Lord that's similar to the storm story in Jonah chapter 1. It, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 3, and you read in verse 24, you know the story of Jesus calming the storm. It, it, you read, a furious storm came up, so the waves swept over the side of the boat, but, the verse finishes, Jesus was sleeping. I don't know what you can see in this slide there, you see, but Jesus is asleep and the storm's raging. The comparison with Jonah 1 is striking because I think Matthew deliberately laid his account parallel to this Old Testament story because he uses language almost identical to the language in Jonah chapter 1. Both, Jesus, both boats were overtaken by a storm. The descriptions of the storms are almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep. In both stories, the sailors woke up the sleeper and said, we're going to die. But woke up Jesus, woke up Jonah. In both cases, of course, there was a miraculous intervention and, and the sea was calmed. And it's interesting that in both stories, 
the sailors became even more alarmed than they were before the storm was gone. And I thought about this. I thought maybe the difference in the stories is what Jonah said to the sailors. Jonah said to the sailors in chapter 1, verse 12 of Jonah, he said, there's only one thing to do. When it's a brave thing, hand it to Jonah. He said, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you live. He said, the only way to, to save yourselves is to throw me overboard. That was an amazing thing. But, and then I read on in the Gospels, and it becomes clear in Matthew that even in this detail, the stories are not so different. Not when you know the rest of the account, the Gospel records about the mission of Jesus on earth. See, Jesus our Lord too said, if I die, you can live. That's the gospel, the cross. He made it clear, in fact, that the only way to life is through his death. He said in John 12, 32, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. He said this signifying what death he would die. It's no wonder that Matthew in twelve forty-one has Jesus saying, now one greater than Jonah is here. The Lord Jesus, greater than Jonah, because he died. You can live. Never forget that. That is the gospel. And, and Jesus, in identifying himself as greater, is really saying, what he's really saying, I can still all storms. I can still all waves. That's important. It's a takeaway lesson. You take this away this morning. Be encouraged. Whatever storms you're facing, and, and we have enormous problems in life, be glad that Christ can bring calm and peace into your life. You just have to be ready to rest in his will. And it's tough to do sometimes. I know that. But you see, Christ can do this for us. He can do it for us because when he was thrown on the cross to die for our sins, he was thrown willingly, like Jonah, willingly, but he was thrown into the greatest possible storm. The ultimate storm, the storm that can sink us all, the storm of God's judgment on human disobedience and wrongdoing. And Christ bore that. And you should think about that because knowing Jesus didn't abandon us in that ultimate storm, God's judgment. Surely that helps us realize he'll never abandon us in any storm. That's an encouragement. You can, in every storm, rest in God's will. Get that. And if you're thinking maybe some past failure in my life, some moment of disobedience, this, this foolish sin, I've never even told anyone at, at, at Boulevard about it, but it sidelined me from ever being back on track and, and doing God's will. It sidelined me from the possibility of being really used in God's service. Then you pay attention and read on in Jonah, because as this book unfolds in the next three chapters, you're going to see how God uses failures. Today, all you need to remember, perhaps, and we need to move on very quickly to the end, the blessing that came to the sailors. You know, the very last verse of chapter 1, it's a wonderful verse. It starts with these words, but the Lord provided. Oh, the Lord provided that, of course, is the gospel. But what happened here, that big fish, a unique and special provision of the Lord came. Tailor-made for Jonah. 
See, God's the one who provides. He pursues the individual wonder. If you're a wonder from God, God's pursuing you. And he calls back everyone who moves away from where they should be in his will and secure in his arms. That's the heart of God. And the heart of the gospel is the Lord provided. And as I read the, this chapter, you know, it says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, controlling nature. The Lord provided what? The Lord provided a great fish to protect Jonah. And I read this and I think, oh, our God controls the ocean. He controls all nature to recover Jonah. Now, we started late and we're going to finish on time. That was quarter after. But get this, as we get ready for tonight, we'll leave Jonah, we'll leave him here. I think we'll have this clip if we can. We'll leave him here. What face are you can't see in this light anyway, but there's a great big mouth there, and unfortunately you need the dark to see, but he got the shadow of the fish. This is a great fish without teeth, fortunately, and that was part of God's provision too. We leave Jonah there. We're going to pick him up in the fish tonight with prayer. I'm going to talk to you about prayer tonight, but this morning, folks, as you make choices, be diligent to recognize God's plans to respond to God's call, and then you'll know that, that wonderful blessing of resting in God's will. May God give that blessing to all of us. And now, as we pray to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. See you tonight, chapter 2, prayer. We're going to look how God not only calls, but listens. May God bless you as you go.